Hey everyone, welcome to the Longhorn BSM Stories podcast. Here with uh, this is Cody Schaus, and here with Marcy Martinez. Hey everybody. We have a couple stories for you here today. Um, the first one, we're going to just talk through an article that we found interesting uh, in the midst of the world we're living in, and wanted to share it with you guys and a couple thoughts we have, and then we'll follow up uh, with a student story. So um, today's article is uh, titled, let me find the title. I lost the title, Marcy. Man, I lost the title <laughs> oh. of the article. It's how to adapt. You ready? It's how to adapt if you've moved in with your parents due to Corona. Very practical title, but uh, a very scary title, I think, for many people too. But I think the people listening to this, a lot of them have moved back in with their parents. And so it's worth talking about, worth giving some thoughts on. And this is uh, Rachel Thompson's. Do you know Rachel? I don't know Rachel. Never heard of her. Um, no, I don't. <laughs> but this is her take. Uh, we found this article up on Mashable.com. Um, and so uh, we'll just kind of run through it, share our thoughts on what she says, um, and then, uh, I don't know, give you whatever thoughts we have. So um, I think it's funny how she started out just kind of this like grand, independent, sounding like the most productive Uh, 20-something ever on the planet and proud that she has this new PR job and living by herself in London. And and then corona happens, and she gets very scared and goes home and, like, runs home. Um, And it it was just this weird dichotomy to me of very confident, powerful, independent, and then she runs home. And even though I, I want to dog her for that, I also feel the... I feel the same desire sometimes. <laughs> and so, um, so yeah, here's some of the things she shares. Uh, she says, first thing you can do when you move back home with your parents, share pop culture recommendations with your family. Uh, I don't know about you. This would scare me, Marcy, if I had to share some things that I liked about our culture with my parents. Um, we are just drastically different in what we like and what we're okay with. Yeah, I really enjoyed how she listed, you know, different Netflix episodes that they were watching uh, together. Um, Yeah, I think that, I I mean, who knows what I would do with that. I I don't even know. Uh, I'll say this. My mom called the other day and said, we're looking for movies. What do you like? And I was just scared to death to answer. And uh so I told them a couple. I told them the Troop Zero on Amazon Prime. I don't know if you've watched that. But it was really good. But yeah. I was worried my parents might not receive it as well as, as they did, but they mm-hmm. loved it. They actually loved it a lot. So I felt good about that. But I was really scared recommending it to them. So, uh, and then I watched the movie 1917, which oh, I think yep. is a wonderful movie. I think everyone's going to love it. So that was an easy recommendation. But uh, it was scary recommending a movie to my parents. So I did get excited last week because my mom binge watched. Um, was it Downton Abbey, which is not a, a new uh, a new one, but it was, I think, her first show to binge. And so I was really <laughs> proud of her for doing six seasons in four days. Oh, so <laughs> she, she went hard on her 14-day self-quarantine. Nice. <laughs> I, think, I think she's kind of the thesis of this idea. She says, uh, it's important to find positive, engaging things you can chat about as a group. Right? She talks about her, her brother, and her parents have moved back in together. And um, I think that's a good idea. No matter what happens, find positive, engaging things. So even if they don't like it or disagree, even if it creates conversation of what you don't like, I think that's a good thing. And, yeah, just enjoy sharing something, right? The, the joy in it is sharing, not in agreeing. And so um, I like how she emphasizes the positiveness of it. Just find positive things. So Yeah. Well, and I think, honestly, if we just sit around and watch CNN or another cable news network all day, I mean, we'll just – 
be fraught with fear and anxiety, mm-hmm. you know, so you've got to, you've got to educate yourself and stay aware. But man, if you do that all day, I mean, your mind and you, you know, it's just not good for you. So I think there's got to be some space for pop culture and fun, you know, yeah. fun media. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Second thing she says, find yourself a designated workspace. Um, I thought this was a really good idea, but I think she should add if you can, right? Like I don't, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know that everyone is going to have this default spaces. Like she talks about how where everyone in her house works, and that sounds great if you have that space. Um, but I think it's also okay to to vary that up. Um, she says we're all in good spirits. Um, these good spirits, I believe, can be attributed to the fact that 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 each of us have a designated room that we can work in. Um, I feel like that's good, but I get bored staring at the same thing every day, uh, and I'm 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 okay with like monotony. I'm a guy that doesn't need a lot of variables, and um, I get bored. So I, I would say if you can, and then change it up if you need to. Yeah, but I, I do see like especially if you're going from where you normally live back into your parents' house, I'm sure it probably doesn't feel like your space anymore. And so I really could see if you had a designated seat or chair where you sat or, you know, space where you worked, it, it might give you a feeling of, of your spot, you know? Um, and I, I could see how that could be really healthy if you are going from a place where you, you know, you're going back into an environment where nothing is yours, you know. Um, I don't know. I, that does make sense to me if it's possible, but I agree it's probably not possible for everybody. Yeah. Or what about this is something I thought about is it's you're going back to something that was yours but probably isn't anymore, right? Like this yeah. was your childhood bed or this was your childhood room. Maybe other things have been changed. Um, this was your childhood house these are your childhood meals, right? Like there's a lot of things that were yours, but, and and there's a weird tension there of how much is this still mine versus how much, like none of this is mine. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a weird tension. And that's why I think the variance would help with that is it kind of helps not feel as entitled when you remember that you are a guest and so in, in, in a micro kind of way, you are a guest. So I can see it going both ways. Yeah, I can see it going both ways. I think the main thing is don't be uh, limiting to yourself, but also don't be hesitant. If you need consistency, create consistency. If you need some vari- variation, create variation. So yeah, um, I even think though with me, like I've had to have a place where I sit down and do work, or I get distracted and want to be productive in my house. Where's that you place? Know? What does that place look like for you, Marcy? Well, right now it's my kitchen table, but it's really just the element of sitting at a table, you know, because I'm tempted to walk or cook or you know do something else, which means I'm not hundred percent attentive to the work I need to be doing, you know? So I feel like when I sit down at the table in front of my computer, my mind switches over to, okay, I have to work now, you know? So it, it kind of is a, a weird thing for me when I sit in this space, I go to work, you know? So yeah, do you do that? I do. I have, I I have a computer screen at a desk that's facing a wall. Um, well at one point we had it facing out, but we have a lot of distractions in our house, not on purpose. Um, it's just there's so many of us and so many of us, you know, the majority of our house under the age of 10. Um, they're just not a lot. There's not many people with large attention spans. So there's a lot mm-hmm. of things to fill time and fill <laughs> attention. 
And so if I'm not looking at a wall, I will be distracted as well by the Lego set that someone's working on or by the video game or the movie or the whatever someone's doing. Uh, I find myself getting deeply distracted and quickly distracted. So the wall is helpful for me, but I can only do it for so long. At some point I have to get up and walk away and, and see something different and go sit on the front porch or the back porch and, um, stretch my legs, but also just, yeah, see something different. So, yeah, mine faces my backyard. So it's, it's nice. Yeah. Yeah, if I could do that, I would. If I could get away with working, looking at my backyard, I totally would. But I can't. Too many, too many little people running around. So, uh, yeah. Last, uh, the next one. Sorry, she says set boundaries. Um, she says uh, when I moved, I brought a blanket from home with me, and I unpacked all my clothes so I wouldn't feel like I was living out of a suitcase. Um, so to me, she's setting that boundary of I'm here, right? Like this is, though this is temporary, there's, there's, a, there's some kind of permanency to it in the sense of I'm here and this is where I'm going to be for a while. Yeah, I, I love that. I mean, I think, you know, when I travel, like I always unpack my bag for that same mental element of I'm, I'm in this space right now to be present, you yep. know, so I really love that. But I also think with this set boundaries topic, it kind of bleeds over into the do your bit around the house uh, spot. And I think a lot of uh, boundaries when you're home is more about communication. You know, she she references being in the middle of working and her her mother asked her to help with a a chore um, and she couldn't do it or she felt tension because she wanted to help her mother. But at the same time she needed to do her work, you know? And so I think that, I think all about boundaries is mostly about communication. You know, I've got to work during this time, but I will gladly do these other things during this other time, you know? um, So what are you communicating? So what are you communicating? Yeah, Like what information are you going to communicate? Yeah, I think I would, yeah, I'm tracking. I I would communicate. I'm going to work. I have to do work from nine to three. Mm. You know, like I'm I'm gonna be doing my homework. I'm gonna. I've got these phone calls, but after three o'clock, I I can help or I'm available if you see me around. Or I think even in here, she said when my headphones are in, I'm working. Mm. When my headphones are not in, I'm free if you need to ask me anything. Mm. You know, so so I love that boundary always because it's just a really easy nonverbal. Um, but, but I think just communicating, I mean, Javi and I have to do that. I'm, I have to tell him my schedule and say, I'll be free at this time. You know, you've yeah. got Avery until this time. Yeah. I have, so. a, I have a friend whose son is home from college right now doing school online and the son's room is his place for school. But what he did is he put, uh, his class schedule up on his door. And so that way his parents know this time to this time I'm in class. That's smart. Um, yeah. And the door's closed and I'm doing school stuff. And then he has some study hours, stuff like that. So if the door's closed and it's in these times, I, I can't help right now. And so, um, but he, he told me he had this conversation with his son. I thought this was great because they, they kind of wrestled with the, you're not in high, you know, the son wanted to be treated more like an adult. I'm independent. He's like a junior, I think, second or third year, sophomore, junior. And so a couple years of independence being out of mom and dad's house, and had his own schedule, had his own routine, had his own responsibilities, but moving in created a lot of tension there. And so finally his dad just looked at him and said, son, if you want to be treated like an adult, act like one. 
Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really good and, and very good. Hey, I'm happy to treat you like an adult as long as you act like one. Yes, this is your childhood home, but don't act like a child. Yeah. So you're used to washing your own clothes? Wash your own clothes. You're used to doing your dishes? Do your dishes. You're used to cooking for yourself? Cook a meal. You know, I thought those were just some practical, decent boundaries that worked for them and and allowed them to continue to love each other and respect each other in this weird process and weird time that, uh, that we're living in. Yeah, that's really good. Because even me, I mean, I am older, but when I go in my mom's house, yeah. I just want to be lazy. Yeah. Like, I yep. don't want to cook. <laughs> I yes, don't want to yes. do anything. I want to revert back yes. to child child parent, you know. Yes. So, so I think that that really is good advice. Um, yeah. Yeah, it made a lot of sense, and I was like, you're better than me because uh, I would never thought of that. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Last thing she says, and I think it's really wise if we uh, can figure out how to do this, but I do think there's a learning curve to this one. Uh, slow down, take it day by day. Um, and she goes into a good piece on mental health and um, how it's okay to expect a little less of yourself at this time. Like if you don't reach that high bar of whatever success is, like, just don't let yourself, don't, don't beat yourself up about it. She's like, we are, we are in the middle of a global pandemic, right? Like this is an unprecedented is a word that's being used a lot, but it's an accurate word. So, mm-hmm. uh, so it's an unprecedented time. And so success will look different and feel different. And I think people will look back at this time and remember, Hey, we may not have done as great on some things, but we did better on other things because of, we were in the middle of that pandemic. Right. Look back at the Great Depression and people don't people don't look back at the Great Depression and say, oh, everyone was so poor and lazy. And, you know, they look back. It's like, no, it's hard to find jobs. It was hard Mm -hmm. to get your hand on. Like they totally take the context in and define success by the context, by the time and the era. And so I think I think we can remember that, like what we've experienced only for a few weeks now, but probably for several more weeks is that people will look back at this time in history and won't think of anybody as less than, but in survival mode. Yeah, I completely, I mean, I just completely agree with that. I don't, I don't think that we're going to look back and say, well, how much education did you get right now? You know, I mean, I just, I think education is important, but I think everything has a time and a place, you know? Um, And so I think just having grace with yourself too, that some days are going to be better than others. And that's okay too. You know, um, let me put you on the spot. What are some of the things that you think are most important? The people we will be remembered for. We're not going to judge education and stuff like that. What What are things people should focus on, and what will we What will we be remembered for as we focus on things? Well, I think that's a really hard question. But the first thing that comes to my mind is kindness. Mm, like, yeah. am I caring for my neighbors like that are elderly and should not get out of the house? Like, am I? Am I seeking out people who may have lost their job and trying to help them? You know, I think that my hope would be that our world and our country would be known for how we come together during this time and how we care for each other and support each other. Um, so that would be my hope for what what things will be remembered. Um, I don't know. What about you? No, I, I think I would start at the same place, that, that kind of generosity and kindness Um, and there's a lot of overlap, but some uniqueness in those things, but yeah, just how am I going to really care about the person next to me, um, who has need or not? Like, it's not even an issue of, oh, well that neighbor lost their job. We should go care for them. 
Um, it's more just, hey, I can't be within six feet of anybody, but you're within 10 feet. So I'm going to reach out mm-hmm. to you. You know, it's just who are the people right next to you? Um, I, th- I think I think we have to remember we're liter- our worlds are smaller. Though Even though we feel like and understand we're a part of a larger planet and globe right now, our sphere of influ- influence is significantly smaller right now um, because of restricted mobility, because of restricted presence. Um, I would say restricted communication, but only at um, only at a, an efficiency level. Like it's hard to communicate well with people right now, but it doesn't mean we can't. Um, but just heavy, heavy restrictions. Our worlds are smaller. Our influences and circles of influence are smaller. So care about the people that are closest to you um, and redefine that as your world and neighbor right now. Um, so I think, yeah, the generosity and kindness. I also think just patience. I think we, I think this is a time for either us to, one of two things, either learn patience uh, in a way that we've never had to tackle it or wrestle with it before um, or model patience, right? Like it can be both and I guess, but um, let other people see us as patient people, um, a patient generation, a patient culture, um, a patient church. I don't, I don't know. Um, just kind of this idea that we're willing to walk with people in the midst of some unknown things. So, yeah. So yeah, that'd yeah, be, those would be good. my thoughts, but I still mm-hmm. think, yeah, generosity, kindness. Um, now is the time to reposture yourself for what you want to be known for. Um, and what are you celebrating? I think that's the key in all of it is now is a chance to let people know what you celebrate in life and go celebrate those things and celebrate them well. So find out what's most important to you and share it. So what would you add? What would you add, Marcy? What are some things that you look at this and those are some good ideas. What would you add to it? I don't know. Like that's just, uh, you should have asked me this ahead of time, Cody. That's a good question. (laughs) Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I deeply hope that this is a time where our country comes together. I, I grieve that our country's been so divided for the last, what, 10, 10 years, sure. 15 years. And, and I truly hope that this is a time uh, where we can put aside our differences, you know, mm-hmm. and just come together and uh, kind of come back to that American spirit that we're in this together, you know. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That's kind of just a bigger hope for me. And I do hope that this is a time where the church really continues to um, be helpful in the moment. Um, (laughs) um, And so, yeah, I guess that helps leads into maybe our other, maybe next week's uh, talk. But, but I I think that's also a question for us is how can we represent Jesus? Well, being six feet away from people and, Mm you know, um, distance and not being able to see each other. I still think we can be very kind and compassionate and generous and patient and all of those things, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. I think I would add something that was more practical, more on the, sorry, not practical, more independent on the personal side is try to avoid arguments. Like just, Mm -hmm. if you feel an argument coming on, because you will, I think that's a given. I remember when I moved back in with my parents during grad school, it was a weekly thing. And I just felt like I had to win the argument. And I think as I look back, if I could, if I could go back, what I would do is just avoid those moments. Yeah. And, you know, my dad and I were the ones who argued the most. And, and we can laugh at it now, but, but not because of any work on our own, but because of grace, we can laugh at it now. Um, 
but I would just avoid them altogether. Just kind of yeah. bow out. If you feel it coming on, you feel the argument starting. Hey, mom. Hey, dad. This isn't heading in a good place. Let's just walk away and pick it up later. I I would hope that if you're mature enough to realize that, maybe your parents would be too. Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe I'm giving parents too much credit. I don't know. But but I would hope, and I think you can try. Uh, <laughs> I think you yeah. can try to put a mature voice in it and just kind of back away from arguments and avoid them. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. That's good. Actually, I did have one other thing, yeah. one other encouragement. I do think that many of you have, many college students who are trying to grow in, in Christ have been communicating to their parents that they are more mature spiritually (laughs) and uh, are really learning a lot. And I do think this is kind of a time where you get to model that and you get to show that. And so going even back to what the the girl said about um, helping with chores, I think that serving your family, I think this is the ultimate time for Mm -hmm. your family to get to see Jesus in you through your service. And and I even thought about Colossians 3.23 where it says, whatever you do, do it do it as for the Lord, not as if you're serving man, you know? And I think that, 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 that you can serve your family and you could help around the house and it's not so your parents will be happy or so that, you know, you've just done your chores or your part, but it's an element of, I'm going to serve my family and care for my family because I want them to see Jesus in me and I want to care and help my family. And so I'm going to do this. You know, um, so I think you can greatly take a posture of service in your family right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think there is this weird piece of being a parent that you always see your kids not as the last time you saw them, but as your favorite way you saw them. Um, and so as as my children grow, I continue to look back and like, oh, yeah, that's who they are. But this is who I love. Like, this is my favorite time of who they've been. And I can only imagine having two decades of raising my kids, and they're always going to be little Bishop, little Piper, little Thatcher, some smaller, younger, cuter version of who they really are. And it's going to be hard. It's hard for the parents to see who you are right now. And so if you can model and demonstrate yourself as someone beyond that little version of you that they remember, it'll only help them see you more as an independent adult than as that little child that was so dependent on them for so long and so deeply. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that's great. So Okay. All right, Marzi, thanks for hopping on. Grateful for it. And uh, I think our student testimony today, uh, there's somebody. I don't know who it is. We'll see. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But uh, we have a student testimony, so we hope this is a good time for you and you enjoy it. Thanks for tuning in. Bye. This week's interviews with Shivam Desai. Shivam grew up in a Hindu family in a Hindu household and in high school decided to follow Jesus. You're going to hear Shivam talk about his story and why he chose to follow Jesus, what led, what events and thoughts and relationships led to that. I am going to ask for grace in one area one or two times. Um, I mistakenly say that Shivam grew up in a Buddhist house or came from a Buddhist background, and that's just not true. It was just a slip of my tongue. And so uh, the truth is he grew up Hindu in a Hindu family in a Hindu background. Um, and so anytime I say something different, forgive me, uh, I just missed it. In, in, in the midst of conversation, I missed it. But I hope Shivam's story is an encouragement to you today and uh, leads you to um, ask questions or understand or be encouraged, whatever you're needing.
All right, Shivam, thanks for sitting down with us today and being willing to share your story. Really, really do appreciate it. So, man, introduce yourself to us. Tell us about you, your background. What did spirituality look like for you growing up? And uh, what did in your home? And what did that feel like? Just give it, explain that environment to us. Uh, for sure. Um, so, yeah, I'm Shivam, graduate of 2020, about to be my senior year. Um, I study human development and uh, family science, um, and so enjoy that. Uh, good question, though. I grew up in a Hindu um, family. My parents are still Hindu. My whole family is still Hindu. And so growing up, I would say my parents are really religious. Um, they really follow everything. My mom is like currently the president of the Mailamander back in Corpus. Um, and so my parents have been early on um, on us about, you know, knowing scripture or the Bhagavad Gita and stuff. And so we would, she would read me this. Um, and we would, like, praise and worship constant. Like, we would be at the temple, like, man, three times a week. Uh, and so growing up, me and my brother were always um, competitive because in Hinduism, like, you know, the more you do, the more you show off, like, you know, your spirituality, the more people look at you and so you impress people by doing. Me and my brother always had this competition of, like, who is going to impress our parents more. Um, he was good in school and I wasn't. And so I always had to like impress my parents by trying to like do more than him. But he was always like disciplined. He growing up, he was a more disciplined person. Uh, and so yeah, we always had this going on. Um, but I remember like my mom mostly disciplining me when I didn't want to to do all the things, all the spiritual um, things. And I'll get beat a lot by my mom like when I didn't memorize things. Um, and, my, and my brother didn't as much. I, I guess he learned. Me, I never learned. And so I remember that vividly. Um, and so early on, I started, like, feeling that I had to perform. I had to, to you know, do all these things so that I'm able to, to impress my parents. And not only that, in the religion as well, um, in work-based, um, you know, through work-based salvation, the more good you do and, the, like, the less bad you do, the, the better you're off. So you can reach salvation through that. But, yeah. Yeah, so the, the <coughs> balance of good and evil or positive and negative, yes. and somehow as long as your scales tip towards the good, yes. you're good. Mm. So in your home, how did that play? Like, were you the best? Were you the worst? Were you somewhere in the middle? <laughs> like, who was the good? Who was the bad? No, was I, I was the bad one. Or like I said, like my, I wasn't really good at school. I sang a lot in school. Like, my yeah. parents, uh, my teachers would always call my dad and be like, yo, you need to get, like, your kid to <laughs> shut up. And so, and this is after my brother went to that same elementary I went to. Yeah. He was top of his class. Okay. And I'm here, like, barely getting, like, C's, D's. And so, I'm the bad. Like, you know, just growing up, it was always like, oh, why aren't you, like, your brother? Mm. Um, that's what teachers would say. And I'd be like, mm, I don't know. Yeah. So, uh, he had set, like, this high bar that I was just not going to be able to meet. And I think it's, it piled up because the... Like, being in kinder, pre-K first, hearing, oh, why aren't you more like your brother? I started mm. internalizing that, and so I was the opposite of my brother. Oh, yeah. And so, I, yeah, like, growing up in my family, I was the bad kid, while my brother was, like, the one everybody looked upon. Like, my parents would brag about my brother, and then, yeah. like, you know, Shivam just there. So, but performance yeah. was so important. Mm -hmm. Is that a Hindu thing? Yeah. The, the yeah. good and bad? Is mm -hmm. that a Hindu thing? Or is that just who... No, 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 def no, 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 definitely like a Hindu thing. Okay. Um, I wasn't able to perform like school-wise, right, yeah. academically. Yeah. And so I would try to balance that out with the spiritual side. Where okay, so what did the spiritual yeah. side look like? Mm. So like what role did that play? Yeah. How did it affect your home, your daily schedule? Where are you coming from? That's good, that's good. Uh, there was this one lady that came to Panama, like mm -hmm. a religious leader. Um, and she would make, like, she would talk to the young people, and me and my brother would always go, 
and she would talk about something about pranam, which is like prost. Prostrate? How do you say it? Prostate. Prostate. No, no, it's not. No, right. not prostrate. Yeah, prostrate, <laughs> not prost prostrate yourself. And so my brother would do like a hundred of these. Okay. Um, and so like you know, the, like you're just supposed to think about God and do mm. these. Um, er, every day you like wake up. And so I'd be able to do like fifty, and I'm like, you know, my my joints are hurting, mm. but my brother's still going. And so I'm trying to like beat this dude, but it wouldn't work. And so. I never like that, you know, worshiping God. That never came into play for me. Mm. It was all about beating my brother. Okay. Because academically, I could not. Uh, yeah. And so I was always trying to beat my brother through that. And yeah. when that didn't work, I learned how to like get people to like me. Mm. And so then I would act out in a way where people would like me. And then my brother also realized that. And so yeah. he would always like we would always have this like you know mental games yeah. with with him because. I always try to like impress people because mm. in these two ways they were always comparing me. Oh, aren't you like your brother? Yeah. And so yeah. So so you're saying the spiritual part of your house then for you mm-hmm. it was there but you didn't engage in it much. The way you engage in your it wasn't about in, encountering a god. Yes. Or anything. It was That's really it. just about performing. Performing better. in a way that pleased your parents. Yes. Pleased gods. Mm-hmm. No, not, not much. For you. Not much. Okay. Yeah, mostly well, you, people that I was with. For many Hindus, that is part of it, right? Mm-hmm. Performance to please the gods yes. of the house, of the community, of certain mm. practices. Yeah, definitely. That came a little bit later for me, like after I moved to the U.S. Okay. And I lived with my aunt and uncle, um, trying to, to work, like trying to, trying to, like now that I realize all this, I left back, that back in mm. Panama. Now here I have a clean slate. Nobody knows my brother. Mm. Um, and so I'm able to, like everything I did for competition here is like, to try to understand God. And high yeah. school also came into play a lot of, like, um, my friends would have, like, conversations about God and stuff. And mm-hmm. so I was like, mm, no, you know, I grew up Hindu. I'm trying to do all these good things, trying to be close to God. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it came, like, trying to please God didn't come into a picture until I came to U.S. Okay. Wait, how old were you when you came to U.S.? Twelve. I was twelve. So moved to U.S. And when you're twelve, your brother's how much older than you? He's eighteen. We're six years apart. Six years apart. Yeah. Okay. And so so he's getting ready to move out and move on. What did those six years look like where he was gone? I mean, he's your biggest competitor, and now he's he's here at UT as well in that time. Mm-hmm. So what what did that six years look like for you at home spiritually? Hmm. Definitely trying to – I didn't live with my parents when I came to, to the U.S. I lived with my aunt and uncle because yeah. they worked in the Valley. Um and so I was trying to, like, I, li- I didn't live with my parents, and so I couldn't act out in any way. Like, mm-hmm. my aunt and uncle were doing me a huge favor, and my parents, yeah. that, like, they're taking me in. I definitely did everything to impress my aunt and uncle now, mm-hmm. like, trying for them not to be mad at me in any way, like, trying to please them in everything I do. Yeah. Um, and that came into play where, like, I would do all the, the pujas, like, I would do the arti and stuff okay. uh, at home. Just trying to please them, but also, like, going back to, like, trying to also please God now that my brother wasn't there. Like, nobody knows who Jigger is, right? Right. And so I'm clean slate. Nobody's comparing me anymore. And so I either take that and move on or, like, you know, still look, keep looking back to what I had in Panama. Mm. So I, I moved on, um, I, th- I think. Um, and so, yeah, just doing a lot of the religious things just to be to not be a burden on my aunt and uncle as well as, yeah. like, to please All right. um, God's. All right, so <coughs> at some point someone introduced you to Jesus. That conversation of who Jesus was came up. Mm-hmm. And somewhere along the way, you chose to follow Jesus over the traditional, what you've known all your life, mm-hmm. Hinduism. What did that look like? Where did that conversation start for you? What was happening in your heart and your mind in that conversation? What was the mm-hmm. process of you finally coming to choose Jesus? What yes. did that look like? It, it was actually back in Panama. 
It was okay. my brother who, he would go, like, you know, he has his old story about, like, high school friend, and he saw chains, and he took him to church. My brother would come home after, like, this service on Sunday, and then he would share with me, like, whatever was preached on Sunday. Okay. And so, me trying to impress my parents, I'd be like, man, don't bring that stuff at home. Like, oh, you know, yeah. we're Hindus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we don't need that. Like, you know, and because I knew, like, the separation we had. Like, we were Indians who were Hindu, okay. and the Panamanians <laughs> were, like, you know, the Christian. Okay. And so I was like... Just trying to be like, you know, we don't bring that in my house. Like, don't tell me that. Okay. But one of the things that I think stuck was how Jesus, being God, came and died for people. Um, I had never mm. heard that growing up. It was okay. always God's coming down to destroy evil mm. and, you know, do all these things. But it was never a God coming down to step down. Like, he laid down his life to die for people. And so I liked that, but I also didn't like that. Because I was okay. like, if God is God, why would he die for people? And that's what makes him different than, like, a soldier who died for other Americans hmm. or other country people yes. in wartime, right? Is that you and I could go be a soldier mm -hmm. and die for somebody, and it doesn't save anybody, but yes. saying this is God, God yes. that came down to die, that differentiates the death for mm. me from the men and women who put their lives in danger mm. to protect me, yes. to protect Americans or whatever their countrymen are, first responders, law enforcement, soldiers, those kind of guys. Mm -hmm. And so that's what differentiates them, too. And that's important that you say that God did this. Mm. He died and gave his life on behalf of not just me, but all people. Yes. So, yeah. That's good. That's good. I like that. So the conversation started with your brother. Mm -hmm. You could have taken advantage of that, though, right? You could have said, oh, here's my, here's my shot to outgood my brother, right? Mm -hmm. But he's the Christian now. I get to be the better Hindu son. Why, why, why didn't you take that path? No, I did though. Okay, that's that's how that's how like they, okay. my my parents knew because he would he would share with me this, and I'd be like, I'll give him stories of what like we heard growing up. Okay, and so I was like, he was a Christian, I was a Hindu. Yeah, and so I was like, yeah, you know, all these things. And my my parents noticed. He was like, you know what? Like at that point, it was like, you know, why aren't you like Shiva? Gotcha. And so I was like, yo, I like this. Yeah. So uh, now your scales are tipping. <laughs> right? yeah. yeah. Okay. And you know they didn't like like he would go to church and stuff, and they didn't like that, and I noticed mm. that. Um, and so, you know, they noticed, and so they were like, you know, he, they, right. then it turned. It was, why aren't you like him? All right. So, like, so what was cool. the conversation or process, or what did you recognize that made you kind of give up your peak position in your family, mm -hmm. in your house as sons, at least, to consider Jesus? Like, what, what was that? I don't want to say transition, because mm -hmm. I feel like it's bigger than a transition. Yeah. Or like, there's something catalytic about that. Like, what was that, what was catalytic in there that... Maybe I do want to consider Jesus. Was it a conversation with Jigger? Mm -hmm. Was it you saw him and friends do something? Was it something in your own heart? And maybe it was a private thing? Mm -hmm. Like, what, what was a catalytic event or sequence of events that kind of started mm -hmm. you to say, All right, I, this Hindu thing, though it's in my favor right now, I'm going to reconsider mm -hmm. it? What, what was yeah. that system or event? Or mm -hmm. When I understood grace, I think that was, like, the point. Like, when my brother shared with me about Jesus and, you know, yeah. I didn't understand what grace was. Like, I didn't know what differentiated Jesus from everything I believed in. So when I finally understood what grace was, getting something we don't deserve, mm. I was like, this is interesting. Because I knew that I, was, I wasn't I was good, right? Like, I did all these things back in Panama. But my bad always outweighed the good. And so there was always this fear that, like, I would never be able to reach moksha. Yeah. Um, and so this grace thing that Jesus talked about, like, you know, he laid down his life. So that we might be righteous in front of in front of God. Mm. That I was like, this is interesting now. Did Hindu did Hin Hinduism not teach any form of grace, or what did grace look like? What had you been told about mm. grace? So didn't grow up like hearing a lot about grace. It was mostly 
you know, do the most good you can. Okay. And if, it, like you said, the outweighs the bad, you're, you're good to, um, like, be in most. And okay. so it was always work. There was nothing of, like, grace where okay. it's freely given. Right. It's always you do and you do more. Yeah. And then I see, like, the my life and it's like, no, I'm doing worse. Yeah. Than, like, I'm doing more bad than the good. And so understanding grace and seeing how Jesus chose to lay down his life, mm. which no one else, like nobody else, another God has laid down their life for sinful people. Like okay. I know I was like not good. And yeah. so understanding grace and I was like, this man I can put my, my trust in. Okay. Um, yeah. So what did that look like when you said, I'm going to follow mm-hmm. Jesus? Walk me through that time, moment, thought process, whatever. Talk me through that. I, I'm choosing to follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. I'm going to walk away from the family religion, the mm-hmm. religion I grew up in my household, and I'm going to follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. What did that, was it just a conversation? Was again, was it happen over time? Mm-hmm. Kind of, yeah, walk through yeah. that. For me, it was over time because like I, like I said, my brother had already like started following Jesus before me. And so he had to put up like with sharing with my parents mm-hmm. that he was um, a Christian. And so for me, they saw change in my life. I would say that's the biggest thing because, you know, I was this like, crazy person like growing up I, I was again not like the good kid converting my brother and so they saw change in me because you know it was God working in my mm-hmm. life showing me that there is sin but he gives us the power to overcome this sin yeah. and so I didn't have to do as much with like my parents of sharing like oh this is what Christianity is because my me and my, like now both me and my brother share of who Jesus is with our parents yeah. um, but my life changed in the way that like I wasn't trying to do good works to attain some sort of salvation, mm. but it was already Jesus laid down his life. Yeah. And because of the grace I've received, I'm able to do good now. Mm. So that changed a lot. Like I wasn't doing good things out of fear. Yeah. Um, it was all out of love to what Jesus had done already for me. Yeah. So did you find a pastor? Did you go to your brother? Like what did that, who else was involved in that with you? Yeah. Uh, I played tennis. I started playing tennis in high school. And so one of my friends, uh, Frankie, he invited me to like his church, mm-hmm. which is my home church now in Alice, Emmanuel Baptist Church. Um, and so I would go and like, there was like a summer camp, which I never heard of, but, but I was like, you know, you get a week and just go out and do stuff. So I was like, yeah, I'm in. <laughs> and at that point, like I had done, like I said before, uh, we would have conversations like at the lunch table with yeah. like a lot of my atheist friends back in, in high school or like, you know, I, we would have a lot of conversations about who God was. And mm-hmm. so I was like, I grew up Hindu, but now like my brother shared to me about Jesus. And so I'm like struggling with like, you know, do I follow this other dude that's not part of our culture, do I stay with the mm. Hindu um, traditions and the beliefs? And on this time is when my friend Frankie invited me to church. And so, like, we went to that camp thing. And I had done all this, like, you know, who is Jesus? All this, okay. looking into who Jesus was. Uh, yeah. uh, and this, the preliminary side yes, of it's done. At the yeah. same time, like, looking into Hinduism, because if there was truth there, I didn't want to leave that. Right. Um, and so I see that, like, Jesus was worthy, like, the way he talked, the way he lived, the way he died and rose again. Yeah. You know, nobody in history has been able to do that. Mm. And so anybody who dies and comes back, like, I would listen very <laughs> closely to what he said. And so I did. And at that summer camp, I just felt that, Jesus, like, I could keep looking for the rest of my life for truth and never arrive of anything. Mm. And at that moment, I just, Jesus was worthy. Like, I had my faith in something even before that. Um, but he's the only one that's able to to hold the weightiness of, of, of this hope that I need. Yeah. And so... How old were you when that happened? 16. At 16. Yeah. <laughs> so at 16, you made the decision mm-hmm. to say, this is absolute truth. This deserves not just my attention, mm-hmm. but my life. Yes. And I'm going to run with that. At 16, you made that decision. Mm. That's cool. 
Yeah. All right, so you choose to follow Jesus. You've made that decision, and that's a huge celebratory thing, right? Whenever someone finds an absolute truth and they surrender their life to it, that's something that, mm-hmm. that you celebrate, right? There's a peace that comes with that. There's a new hope that comes with that. We celebrate those things. But if we got down to it and we really unpacked not just faith but life in general, we see that life, not every moment of life is celebratory. Mm-hmm. There are times in life where we really struggle, right? Because especially when we come to the Christianity conversation, you can't hold everything in faith. And, and Paul actually says we walk by faith, not by sight. So we're actually adhering mm-hmm. to things we may not be able to see sometimes, but we... We, we believe, and we're going to adhere to belief over sight. And that's really hard to do. And so there are moments in life where our faith is tested, might be one way to say it, or another way to say it is, is even we begin to question the things we've, we've mm. said we believe. And, and I think one of the beautiful things of Jesus is he actually says that's okay. He allows for that. And, and maybe another day we'll get into that conversation. Mm-hmm. But, but what are some of those moments for you? What are some of the moments where your faith is put out there and exposed a little bit in a way that it's difficult? Mm. And what situations have you gone through in life since being 16, following Jesus? What have been some of the harder parts, some of the high hurdles, high challenge, um, big obstacles for your faith? Mm. What are some of those situations you've had no. to face? So being Indian... And following this Jesus that is supposedly like a white, like Christianity is like a white religion. Mm. So I deal with that with my parents. And and not just with my parents, with everybody. Like, you know, me wearing a kurta, people think I'm still Hindu. (laughs) And so it's like this mind, this, I would say false mindset of like Jesus being white. Like my parents can, like when they were kids, um, people would come to their village like Christians. And then they would share this really white Jesus that in no way was like, the true Jesus who was. Right. And so struggling with this with my parents, like the, the struggle has been with my parents, showing them that, no, that this this Jesus that has been represented is not like, Jesus was a, a, a first century Middle Eastern like Jew. Right. This yeah. dude looked more like me than yeah. like the, the pictures <laughs> we see. And so I'm trying to show this to my parents, right? They still think that, oh, like, you know, you've been like, brainwashed to think uh, like to believe in this jesus from mm. like these white people but no he was closer to india yeah. than like the you like come on yeah. and so struggling yeah. the yeah. real conversation mm-hmm. is in this uh, for the church yeah not just for your family mm-hmm. but for the church is we've created a marketable jesus mm-hmm. that sells good books and movies and makes the story sound mm. a little easier yeah. but in reality jesus was first century north african mm-hmm. middle eastern yeah right and that just doesn't sell books in America. Mm. And so we want to paint the more marketable picture of Jesus and what he looked like mm. when in reality he wasn't German or Swiss, yeah. you know, but, <laughs> and yeah, yeah. So, but that's what we make him look like. Mm. And so what, what hurdles did that create? Kind of what tensions were mm. there? I, I very much believe you yeah. that, yeah, there's a, uh, a misnomer within, within an Indian family, mm-hmm. especially a Hindu family. So what did that create? What tensions were there? Mm. What attitudes were there? Uh, it was mostly through my like uncle, one of my uncles. He mm-hmm. he's really like like he knows a lot, and so we're just sitting down and talking with him, and as well as my parents. Like my dad, he also kind of pushes back that like no, this is, um, like what you believe. Like you're you you didn't choose this for yourself. Uh, but my uncle always talks to us like oh how these Christians go to India and go, they go to like to poor people and they give like food to people but at the same time are like convert to to christianity and so i struggled with that with my uncle that i'm like you know like if 
if I say I'm a Christian and then I go murder people, I'm a hypocrite. Mm. And so am I truly a Christian? And so I struggle with this with my uncle because it, it kind of, you know, sets us like in two opposite. And with my parents as well, because they think that like I've been brainwashed. Again, as I said, uh, yeah. to believe in Jesus. When, when, and like, I don't know, that kind of makes me angry because it's like, no, I made this conscious de decision to yeah. follow Jesus. And so it's been kind of driving like apart. And so I, we have a map at my, my house, my brother put. And so I was like, where do you think Jesus was born? And my mom's like, over here, like <laughs> the U.S., Europe type okay. of thing. And I was like, no, like this dude was born here, like, you know, closer to, to yeah. us. And so the struggle that I've been with my parents, just them trying to push against what I believe, mm. who Jesus truly is, and me trying to show them like who the real Jesus is. Yeah. I think that's been a weighty on me yeah. um, anytime i'm hanging out with family and how has that made family. faith difficult like what about yeah. that what about that weight mm -hmm. has made continuing in faith difficult mm. like what hurdles has that created that weight inside of you mm. sometimes i do like question like you know mm -hmm. am i like since i we moved to the u.s i hang out with mo like a good amount of people that were raised some and like some some sort of christian uh background and so i think like man is it just me hanging out with these people and so i believe in jesus mm. just because like that's what we talk about with people um so i struggle with that and again going back to scripture like i don't know like i haven't been like I, i've made a decision to follow jesus it wasn't just something because i'm part of the culture here that like oh you know if i follow jesus right. it'll be easier like no it's it's not like you know, there, there are these struggles at home. And then now sharing your faith, like even the U.S. is like, you know, a thing about like, you know, you don't talk about what you believe yeah. in. And so struggling with who Jesus is um, and how I like truly believe in him. And so I don't know, like I question that a lot. Yeah. If, if I just haven't like my parents are brainwashed, maybe I am like being able to like hang out with so many of y'all, like mm -hmm. of, of people here, like who are Christians. But yeah. Do your parents have thoughts on who Jesus is? Like, what do who, what do they say? Who who do the, who would they tell you Jesus is? They tell they they say that he's part of one of their gods. Like out of the, the okay. millions and millions of God, Jesus is one of them. Uh, him saying like I am the way, the truth, the life. They claim that like other people have said that. Okay. And so they think of this, you know. Like so my, they, they, my uncle has a different view. Like he's like okay. you know Jesus is like an oppressive dude that okay. that you know he like people use Jesus to like colonize people and then mm. like you know trade food like i said trade yeah. food and like make them convert to christianity right uh and but my parents is more like a oh jesus is just another part of all these other gods that okay. we have yeah so part of your family would accept him as deity mm -hmm. but not as unique yes all right as but your uncle yeah different <laughs> he actually says no there's evil in yes. jesus and even the way people that follow jesus they they use that for evil yes. as well. Huh. Okay. All right. As you wrestle with that, the mm -hmm. weight of, man, my family thinks something completely different than me. Um, do you feel there's that your family ostracizes you in any way? And I guess your brother, too, because mm -hmm. you mentioned your brother became a follower of Christ before you. So is there any outsider kind of marginalization that your family mm. intentionally or unintentionally yeah. yeah like they do you feel like they marginalize you kind of see you as oh that's them we're gonna do that we're gonna go on without them they're mm. gonna shiv them a jigger gonna do what they do <laughs> yes. but we're gonna go we're gonna go ahead like yeah do you feel a pressure from that or waiting yeah what not, is not from my parents like okay. like I, a little bit from my parents but not as much more like right. from Closer, like, you know, relative, like first okay. cousin, second, like my aunt and uncle. Right. And it's all un unintentional. Like, they see that we have this hope um, that is different from what they have. 
Like mm-hmm. they have this culture of Hinduism where, you know, they have like a, a mini shrine in their home, but they really don't follow. They don't have that peace. Uh, they don't have the change of life that we have. Yeah. And even like in, a, in our community as well, um, in Corpus, like they see that they are different. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, they, we feel that like anytime we're with them, like they kind of, they know that like I'm going to ask something like spiritual mm-hmm. or something that, you know, it's not going to be just, hey, how are you? Right. And so they kind of like don't try to get as much. Yeah. Like with, with me, I, my brother is like, I'm more of a conversationalist. I, I, you know, I bring up <laughs> things, you know, just being me. And so, um, yeah, we, we are different. They, and they know that. We, they know, like, our, our whole community in Corpus know that we follow Jesus. Mm. Um, but unintentionally, I would say, they, they see this difference and this change that they're not able to explain. And, you know, when we say it's Jesus, yeah, uh, yeah that sets us apart from what does that do with your faith like as you kind of see it after how does that affect your day-to-day hey my family not only do they think different than me mm-hmm. in the spiritual world but they even think different of me because i think different mm. how like what weightiness does that create kind of give a voice to that weightiness that you talked about like what what adjectives would you put in that in a personal feeling like knowing that my family mm doesn't see me as an equal what is yeah give that voice a little bit what does that what does that say big feeling that just comes out is like fear not being right i would say with them like when i hang like when we're just sitting down or anything like i feel (laughs) that they're they know that i'm different right and so there's this fear because i try to i try to be part of the the whatever i'm part of right like i try to assimilate into that and then also like my parents not being okay with decisions I make mm. there's this fear because I want to honor my parents I love my parents I love my family and me doing something else like if G- like if God calls me to do something and then they call me to do something else there's this fear that because I want to please my parents at the same time but at the same time I also want to listen to what God says True. so there's a huge fear that I have to like at the end of the day I have to make the decision too so will I again I don't know who it was but it said like you know, will you please God or will you please man? Mm. And so, you know, sometimes I'm being sinful. I do make decisions that will please my parents. Um, yeah. But yeah, fear. Fear. <laughs> right. What do you think God thinks when you have those mm. moments of fear? What do you think God thinks about those fe- that fear? You know, all, all tribes, all nations, all tongues will bow down. And so, like this fear that I have, like of my parents. I fear really also like my parents not coming to Jesus because mm. um, I know like the the debt they owe, right? Like if you're talking about they were sinful. And so just I know that they will bow down. Everybody on earth will bow down when Jesus comes back. Mm. That is like, and he's just as well. Like my parents will not be judged for something that they're not, they're not responsible for. Okay. And so all tribes, all tongues, all nations will bow down. My parents will bow down. Yeah. Um, if they choose to do it now or later, they will. Yeah. Um, and so that just gives me assurance that, like, God is just and, you know, he, w- he will judge uh, being just. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, let me give you some encouragement, too. Mm. Reminds you, John tells the church that a perfect love drives out fear. Mm. Right, and so in those moments of fear, what is God saying? He's saying, "Trust me, mm. trust me," which is hard. Right, we're we're talking about I choose to follow Jesus, and in a moment where faith is hard, He's really asking you to find more faith, and but He also promises to give that faith. Mm. And so, uh, 
Yeah, so he's asking you to go back to what you chose earlier, right? Remember the decision you made. Remember that me, God, mm. came down to earth and died a, a horrible death so that everyone could be restored, mm. so that all people of all history can be restored. Um, and uh, and as they choose to believe in the work and the life of Jesus, they find restoration. Mm. And he's saying, let that drive out fear. So that's yeah, good. Thanks. That's really good. Like All right, so our last section, we're going to look at the electives. And so, so we want to know about your passions. Like, what are the things you choose to do when you get up in the morning? What are you setting out to do? Like, what is what drives you? What keeps you going every day? Mm. Uh, and, and this is the stuff kind of beyond the faith, right? Yeah. Like, this is um, <clears throat> career, work justice issues what is it what are those things for you Hmm. i like understanding people like psychology i just early on i had to use it well like i said to like get people to like me yeah yeah. and so i enjoy understanding people and like i know how to make people do what i want them to do okay not not great (laughs) that sounds creepy (laughs) no i'm just kidding (laughs) um and so i understand i love that like most of my class i I love working with children as well and so i want to understand um you know, the development of, of children. But also the other half is, like, understanding, like, Ill, like mental illnesses mm. or, you know, habitual things that we mm. do that also, like, are part of that mental illness. Yeah. Like, you know, we have an organic issue, yeah. but there's also an inorganic side to it, like, well, the way we react to things. Yeah. And so I like understanding that. Career-wise, I would like to be a psychotherapist. I want to work with, like, okay. children, child adolescents who have, you know, some sort of, Psychopathology. What do you think um, drew you to that? Like, there's a lot of anthropology mm-hmm. in that, like just humanity yeah. issues. So, what what do you think drew you to that? Hmm. What are the roots of that? Do you think? <laughs> so I love my family, right? Yeah. So yeah. that definitely, I love people. I love like that. But I think the other half is like early on, as I was a kid, I always struggled with like finding my identity because always compared to my brother, right? Yeah. And so somehow I had to be different. Yeah, but you survived. Yes, I survived, yeah. right? So I'm here. Um, and I think that's what, like, that's one of the reasons I enjoy um, understanding people, mm-hmm. but I also want to help um, knowing people, how can I help them overcome issues in their life? Yeah. Um, but yeah. That's good. That, yeah. That's good. All right. How does your faith affect, though? Like, you f- choosing to follow Jesus, how does that affect... Mm these things that are kind of beyond faith and move into everyday life mm-hmm. and, and not just your life, but how you interact with other people, right? Because you still are studying uh, human development stuff. Mm-hmm. You, you want to go further in that education. You you even posture yourself to serve other people on mm-hmm. campus. So you spend time in deep service of other people. So, so how does your faith affect those times and mm-hmm. those things? Going back to loving people, uh, I care deeply about, like, problems that are going on in people's lives. Right? Yeah. Um, I think as a counselor, like as a psychologist, I think in scripture talks about like having knowledge, wisdom, and goodness for people. Mm. Um, and so like Proverbs is a big one, but you can see how people should, I guess, like if you do this, this will happen, that type of thing. Yeah. Um, my faith just shows me that if you do this, good will come. And if yeah. you do this, the bad will come. A, a huge presupposition is that people are sinful. And so going into, like that's huge, right? Yeah. Like, Anything people do, we're, we are sinful. And so going into, um, like, or like, yeah, I, I don't know. There's a lot, like, topic that I want, like, you know, say the wrong things. So there's yeah. a lot of things to say. <laughs> but there are organic issues that people deal with. Like, you know, yeah. some sort of 
um, like when you're where we're born or whatever, like you know, chemical imbalance. Right. And so there's that side to, to psychology as well. But then there's also how we react having yeah. that. Um, and so through scripture, I'm able to learn what should people do. Mm. Like there, there, there's a verse about like um, the thief, like let the thief no longer steal, but do honest work with his own hands so that he right. may have something to give. To, to share with anyone in need. Right. And so you put off the, the stealing, and then what do you put on instead of that? It's working hard so mm. that you're able to share with other people. Yeah. And so in Scripture, I'm trying to see what does God say about these habits that we've formed that are not um, the, the godly way to respond. Being sinful, we're like we're, our default is to, to respond in a sinful way. Right. Um, but seeing my faith and what God calls us to do instead of the sinful way, that helps a lot. I have to understand that and be able to apply it I think the wisdom that like the knowledge, wisdom and goodness, yeah. the, the wisdom comes in. How do you apply scripture to everyday life? Because mm. um, it's there, right? Like the tools on, on how to deal with because, you know, the, I, I feel like the Bible has a lot of like how to deal with interpersonal like conflicts with people. Right. And so how do I apply that to a specific person um, when they come into like, you know, later on, when, like, you know, I, right. I become a therapist. But yeah. All right. And so, yeah, I enjoy that. I enjoy music as well. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's great. Shivam, thanks for joining us. Thanks for sharing your story. Uh, we really <laughs> appreciate your willingness to maybe even expose a little more than what you wanted to. Talking about family. It's mm. always hard. It's yeah. difficult to talk about family. It's difficult to criticize, even though it's not a criticism, but even kind of tear apart the things that the mm. people you love so dearly disagree with you yes. on. But I, I love how you talked about how that doesn't stop you from loving them, mm. right? We disagree mm -hmm. on this really important yes. issue. Who is Jesus? But it hadn't stopped you from loving them and s continuing to serve them as family, care for them as yes. family. It hadn't lowered your view of them in any way. And I just think that's beautiful. So thanks for being willing to share that. And uh, yeah, we're grateful for you, brother. Hey everyone, thanks for checking out the BSM Stories podcast this week. The Longhorn BSM serves to connect students to the love of Christ and help them grow as disciple makers. If you have more questions about the Longhorn BSM, check out our website, longhornbsm.com, or find us on Facebook and Instagram at longhornbsm. This week, your hosts were Cody Schaus and Marcy Martinez, and this episode was produced and edited by Turner Barnes. Thanks guys, much love. <laughs>